When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is the actor Shikuti Awuji. You know him best from such shows and series as When They See Us, Designated Survivor, The Underground Railroad, and from films like John Wick Chapter 2. Shikuti can be seen in the new HBO Max series Peacemaker, which stars John Cena as The Peacemaker, reprising his role from the 2021 film, The Suicide Squad. The series was created by James Gunn, who also cast Shakuti in his upcoming Marvel movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. And just a heads up that this interview was recorded in December over the internet, so please forgive any audio weirdness. Great. I love the Three Musketeers look thing you got going on, the D'Artagnan thing, you know. It oh my works. god it works I, I appreciate that <laughs> it's so uh, good to see you mate it's oh my god so it's good been so long i mean it's been i want to say 20 years it's been 20 myself. years at least yeah uh, i Since mean so, american place theater yeah yeah 20 yeah years. we did that I, I was trying to think when i first met you and i remember you were at like the conservatory in um yes milwaukee, milwaukee. and i had seen you in a production of tartuffe and I, I remember i got to meet you afterwards we have yeah. uh, obviously a few friends in common and I remember my impressions of you were like, I, I love your voice, which I'm sure you get a lot. Uh, I found you very charming. And I remember you had amazing pectorals. I was like, holy shit, guys. Guys. <laughs> 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 I was amazing, oh, those right? are the days, yeah. There's a pectorals voice and, and, and charm. <laughs> That's your business P card right there. PVC is my, yeah, PVC Incorporated. <laughs> PVC Incorporated, trademark, and hopefully your, your agent's going to let. I also, <laughs> uh, we, we did, we, yeah, we did do the, the summer at America Players Theater. Do you remember, though, after we did that, I think this was right before you had- You, you got me to be a fight choreographer for a production of yours. Is yes. that what you're going to say? Yes. Yeah. And there's two things I want to bring up about this. So I did a, I directed a production of Line by Isha Horowitz. And uh, in the script, I think it's just like a half line. It says there's a fist fight. And my grand vision as a young, like 20, early 20 director was like, let's just make this a brawl. And we rehearsed this thing for like weeks and weeks every time. And you would give us your time and had this, it became like, I think I lied to the cast and said, it was like, oh, it's like a 90 second fight. It was like close to three minutes. Yeah. Um, but there's two things. One, one of the actors, uh, when we were rehearsing it, he got hit in his private parts. He got hit in the, in this basically, and went down. And you had the best line. You're like, "It won't happen again." I could tell you that. And like, we're all like, "What? It's so true." Do you remember that? Yep, absolutely. That was so much fun bringing me. And you know what? I was completely, I didn't let on to this, but completely terrified because I'd never choreographed a fight before. I loved fight choreography. I loved doing it, but I'd never choreographed. So you were the first person to ask me to choreograph a fight then someone else brought me in again with theater x to choreograph another fight and then it's weird because 
when I was when I moved to the RSC and I was in London, there was this period where one of the top choreographers um, in in England in theater was always choreographing stuff I was doing. You know, he was always in the same shows and he would make me fight captain. I remember there was a period where he actually got me to go up to Bristol. I think they were doing a production of Aladdin and said, I can't go up. I don't have any more time. And I'm struggling with this fight. I'm struggling to get them to do what I, <laughs> I'm asking them to do. I'm throwing you into the deep end. Can you do it for me? And I remember going up there Terry, you know, for, for Terry to, what's his, Terry's last name? I've forgotten. Um, for him to ask me to go up and take over a production of his choreography was hilarious, but it's a throwback to you asking me to do it for the very first time in Milwaukee. What memories. Crazy. It's good to see you again, mate. It is <laughs> so good to see you. And I, I want to spend less time about us and a little more time on you because you have so many exciting things and, mm. um, I want to jump in right with probably the big one that's coming up soon is Peacemaker. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the it's a TV series. It's based on John Cena's character Peacemaker from the excellent film The Suicide Squad. And mm -hmm. based on the trailer, if, as far as I can tell, tell your character cuts a deal with him to keep him out of prison. Would that be an accurate description? <laughs> um, yes, I mean yes, he is he is kept out of prison because there is a. As the trailer will tell you, I'm not giving it away. Literally, a mission to save the world, and I need, as in the in the same vein as the Suicide Squad stories, is you need this bunch of misfits who happen to be very good at their skill sets, all be the completely messed up characters. And yes, I, I sort of like take over the mantle of of leading this team of misfits to literally save the world. And John Cena is a major player in that. Okay, and I know there's probably a lot you can't tell us, but what can you tell us about your character and how did you get involved with this? It is so weird. Okay, first of all, how did I get involved with it? It's your classic thing. You know, you wake up one day, you make your coffee. It's a regular day. You know, you, you're planning dinner and then email comes from your agent. And um, it was to, to, to go on tape for this. I don't even know if it was called Peacemaker at the time. It was called something, you know, the super secretive stuff. You know, it was like three pages and uh, no, a little bit of a character description, which almost made me not do it. Because when I read the character description and wh where at least up until that point they were going with it, I was like, there's so many people that could do. I mean, why don't you just get Lance Reddick or, you know, or, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's his, you know. Um, but I, I, I then looked at the actual material and it was hilarious. It was so funny. And I immediately... Um, because James is a very good writer and, and an actor himself knows how to direct you through dialogue, you know, I immediately got a very strong sense of who this character, at least for me, turns out to be completely opposite of what James was thinking until he saw my tape. And I was like, I have this guy. And I did that. Like, and I remember it was like a Tuesday or something. I got a call and, and it was like, hey, he loves you. No screen test. No way. I never met James. I never had any whatever they want to offer you the role and that's how I got it and that's how I came into James's world and that uh, this world of Marvel and you know consequently um this thing I'm doing now Guardians but James uh, the character itself man um the, his backstory is that he's a mercenary ex-black ops operations for me I added a bit of a tweak I saw there was just something about the way he spoke I said I, I see this guy as a former West Point graduate 
you know, probably went in with the best intentions into the Black Ops and stuff and came out the monster he sort of is. And um, but what is great about him is he's definitely the straight guy in a group of, of delinquents. So it's about about keeping it was the real challenge for me was not to fall into the trap of having too much fun. And just having this guy as, as, as keeping true to who he has to be. But he also has a, a really deep emotional trajectory that surprises you uh, as the series goes on, which was for me, you know, the sort of anchor for doing everything else, you know. You mentioned James Gunn, but he wrote all the episodes. He's the mm-hmm. showrunner. He directed many mm-hmm. the episodes. What's your creative relationship like with him? Because you mentioned you're also going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But so you went from not knowing him to working on the show and now you're in his next project. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember that we were, we were rehearsing the opening sequence for the show. And he, he came up to me and this was about March or April this year. And he came up to me and said, uh, um, can I have a word with you? Um, it was like, is this when you tell me you actually had meant to hire Chiwetela Geofor, not Chikudi Wu Jesus? <laughs> and um, <laughs> I actually said that, and he joked, and he said, "No, no, no." He says, um, uh, "I don't, I don't know what your schedule is, but um, I want you to play Guardians of the Galaxy Three. And my jaw dropped. I just, what's cool about that? He'd seen my work for several weeks, and he'd made his decision to have me based on that. So. That takes a lot of pressure off you as a person. I mean, we still had to, we did a, a, a screen test, but it was nice knowing that you're doing a screen test for one. It's not me versus another 12 people. All I have to do is go in and, and justify this guy's faith in me in front of him and for the powers that be, and we'll be good. I'm not competing with anyone, but in many ways myself, you know? So that made it, and by that point, me and him had been throwing back ideas back and forth because he really wanted this character grounded. He said, the reason I'm a big part, I want you this, I want to ground this and I, I want your imagination, but I want you to ground him in someone human. So I knew my best remit was to play to my strengths and to trust that. And for him, it, when we did that screen test, it was the first time he was hearing these words that was written four years prior. So for him, it was a bit like our theater background. It was the closest thing to um, a, a workshop, a theater workshop. And if only every audition could be like that, you know what I mean? Because that's your element. That was my element. So it made it both challenging and also very familiar because I know that world. I know what it is to be asked to, to bring something off the page, which you don't often get in auditions or even callback. This was about create something and help me find this character. And that's what we did together. So needless to say, our working relationship is so collaborative. He's a genius. I mean, and he knows every new, but he's also smart enough to know that there is something because he himself was an actor that only an actor can bring to whatever crafted material you have. And luckily, whatever that something is, he seems to feel I bring it. So, And I don't know what it is. I'm never going to ask him what it is. I don't want to know what it is. I just want to keep working with him. And we, we really, he'll, he'll do stuff. And then at some point, whenever we're shooting, he'll say, okay, now Chuck, just do something crazy. Do it for yourself. And then sometimes we'll get something out of that and then take it in a different direction. So I just feel very uh, valued.
Now you mentioned you mentioned jokingly uh, Chiba Tell Ijia Four, but uh, I want to ask you something though, because you are by, by all means a classical actor, and you're not uh, clearly the first classical actor to be in a comic book film or a sci-fi series. Uh, Chiba Tell, I think of Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen. Mm -hmm. But what mm -hmm. is it about you, classical actor guys, that works so well in sci-fi and comic books, or is that something you just don't know why you just accept? A lot of comic books are based on character, and they're very intense characters. They're very Greek, actually. So I think they're very Greek. It's a little, it all boils down to revenge, love, fury, tragic flaw, all these stuff that we do in classical work. So now, what's great about the comic books is like the scope of them are so big. So it, it, it does kind of lend to our theatrical background in a weird way, um, because a lot of it is in imbuing and imagination. You're not actually seeing a Pluto in front of you, but you've got to imbue it's there. And that's kind of like being on stage and looking out into the audience and imbuing them with being the army of France. So there's a lot of skills. Green screen, or I don't know what they call the screens now, they're so advanced, but the blue screen, or I don't know what they call it, but you're imbuing, you're imagining, you're seeing stuff that isn't actually there. And the scale of these characters, because they are superhuman for the most part, or whatever, they, it, it, it has the scope to take that theatrical, I can't even speak, theatrical um, leaning, you know. So I think, I don't think it's an accident. I think it makes sense. I think there's a, there's a sense of bigness to it. But comic books really paid as much, if not more attention to character as they did to spectacle. And I think when you get that right, and James certainly does, his characters are very, you know, he, a lot of his scenes boil down to two people talking to each other, which is the fundamentals of um, drama, you know? Well, I want to ask one more thing about Peacemaker, because um, I'm curious, what do you think is going to be the appeal of that show? Uh, versus other shows, we've had a lot. Mm. There's a lot of shows on Disney Plus that are mm -hmm. based on on comic book characters. I think the appeal is is the fact that it's created by I feel one of the most subversive maverick uh, writers, not just in the comic book genre, but just in, in in film right now. And so you have surprises along the way. You have twists and turns, and you have people behaving really badly, but all having real hearts to them. And I think that's something that James does really well. He surprises you. You mentioned Suicide Squad. I mean, when Ratcatcher talks about her father and you're just suddenly like, and, and uh, yeah, you're just sort of like your heart is yanked out of you. Or when, when uh, um, Nick Flagg uh, says to him, Peacemaker, what a joke. And the look they share together. I mean, your heart is wrenched out. So I think what this show is going to do is give us rollicking fun, but just a lot of human humanity in it, you know, an extreme wonderful violence and comedy. I mean, when you have all those things together, <laughs> that's a good night in, you know what I mean? There are certain films and series and, uh, and it's true in theater, but I, I, we're going to talk about theater, I promise. But I want to talk about some more film stuff. But there are certain films and series that mark a change in entertainment uh, culturally and uh, and also just style-wise, and then you see everything copy it. And one of them is John Wick, and it certainly changed things uh, in terms of actors doing mm -hmm. as much of the action as, as possible. You mm -hmm. were in John Wick Chapter 2. What was yeah. that like? That was, I mean, I was in it just very briefly, but it was a glorious, like, eight days in Rome. Um, 
wow, John Wick is... The funny thing with John Wick is like, I saw the first one late, like at least six months after it had come and gone. I think I saw it on Netflix or something. I remember watching it and it was a complete throwback to the uh, John Woo movies with Chow Yun-Fat, hard-boiled yes. and things like that, the Japanese, the Hong Kong noir. And it was, it was great to see a bit like Keanu and the crew had done with um, The Matrix, was to see this Eastern style be brought to the West, you know, so brilliantly. And it's no accident that um, Chad Stahelski was, you know, stunt in charge of second unit and stunts on Matrix and then did um, John Wick because it was great. That thing of being balletic with a gun, something I hadn't seen since Chow Yun-Fat and the John Woo movies. So I remember seeing this and going, wow, and making a call the next day to my agent. This was back in 2015 when I had no business doing what I did. But I said, if there's another John Wick movie, I'd like to be seen for it. And I'm sure my agent was like, yeah, okay. I put myself on tape again. The next day I got a call from Chad. Chad zoomed me and said, look, I want you to do this role. And it turns out he never saw the first audition, but he saw the second one. So it was during that crazy storm in January uh, 2016, that blizzard. But being in New York, I was able to fly out because they cleared the snow. I arrived in Rome and suddenly you're in a set. You're on John Wick and you're there. Keanu Reeves is there. It was, it was amazing just watching his dedication. He would practice every minute off stage, pulling that gun and putting it back. Practice it so it was mechanical. And it was, it was inspiring, actually, to see how much work he put into it. And also the fact he was such a gentleman. But for me, it was really, it was an easy enough role that, to really worry about anything other than looking really good in a suit and just soaking in <laughs> the fact that I'm in a John Wick movie. No matter what happens, I was part of this fabric, you know? Well, and, and I want to talk about another thing you were in, uh, also wearing a suit, a different kind of suit. You were also in Ava DuVernay's series, uh, When They See Us, about they the 1989 us, yeah. Yeah, Central Park jogger case. Um, yeah. What did it mean to you to be part of such an important story that corrects history? And also, how is it to work with Ava, who I think, at least from a viewer point, she's masterful of blending historical, the emotional, but also holding up a mirror to society. What's that? Oh, like? she does. She does all those things. You, you, you summed her up, really. It was great working with her. I, was, I mean, I, I remember meeting her in the, in the audition and she, she was just so full of energy. She takes over the room and she's driven. This is what's going to, we're going to tell this story. It's as simple as that. And you believe her. So you get on board. She's a leader in that sense. And that was very inspirational for me because I was like, I, you know, to be part of, as a British Nigerian, I've, I, I've said this several times, every time I can be genuinely part of a truly American narrative, I feel that I've truly made the transition. It's not me being hired for my voice or for my pecs, you know, <laughs> like, like you said. <laughs> Back in the days. No, but it's, it's truly of saying that you can, it's a bit like how I felt working with Barry Jenkins in the Underground Railroad. It's to be part of the American fabric of storytelling means this transition I made was, was worthwhile. And so telling that story, especially such a recent story, and the reaction, I've never known so many people be so angry watching something in a good way that I can't believe this. It's one thing to see something that happened a hundred years ago or 70 years, but to know that this is your New York you're living in and this happened and these guys are still going through this. It made people, and not just in the States. I remember soon after that came, when that was coming out, I was actually filming in London and the reaction of people in London watching it, just the anger, 
Um, and it got a reaction across, across the globe, actually, that story. So it was wonderful to be part of that. I see it as triumphant, despite the bleakness of the story, that that story was highlighted and made such a splash, you know. You mentioned uh, being, um, you know, you were born in Nigeria, you lived in Ethiopia, you went to boarding school in London and spent time in the States. Out of all those different experiences, how does that, how does that inform your perspective um, when you're doing film or doing theater or just where you live now and who you are? I think all of it lends a hand. You don't know how. It's not like a recipe. It's not like baking. You know, it's not math. But it all lends a hand. You know, I've, I've, I'm sure at some point I'm using stuff I've experienced growing up in some kind of character. You know, when they see us, the guy was Guyanese, you know. I'm sure at some point there was a, a visiting uncle or something that had the swagger or something. You know, you, you, you know, as an actor, we're sponges. We soak stuff up. What we don't necessarily know is how we're going to use that stuff we soak up. And you, that's where you trust instinct and, and, and imagination and recall to do that almost on itself for you and then you find yourself doing that and go oh you know so I think the international nature of my growing up and 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 the people I've met and the cultures I've experienced and also what that the, the sort of confidence that gives you and if you're faking it till you make it you fake it really well do you know what I mean I think all that stuff um the international nature of stuff which is why I I really love playing people from different places for me because that's been my whole life was being amongst people from different places and and I can't imagine just sticking to one kind of character or place that's closer to me it's actually much easier to play stuff that's very far away from your character you know yeah <laughs> well, like you probably do in Peacemaker <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> okay so I, when I met you uh you had just you not just, but maybe recently had graduated Yale with a degree in economics. I was like, went to University of South Carolina, I had switched from journalism to theater and you were starting your, your career as an actor. And I've always wondered this, and maybe we talked about it a long time ago. What did your family think of you when you're like, you know what, <laughs> I'm not gonna be an economist, I'm gonna be an actor. And what do they think about it now as you're starting to be in stuff that like, I, I, being in plays is amazing, but it's still, you have to be able to go to that play. Whereas I could pull you up on Netflix or whatever and, and watch your and HBO Max and watch Peacemaker now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my, you know, I, I was just talking about this earlier today. My, I was, you know, terrified to tell my family because, you know, we're Nigerians and when you're Nigerian, there's only three professions, a lawyer, a doctor, or, or uh, engineer. Those are the only three professions. And <laughs> so I was a bit terrified, but you know what? Parents have an ability of, of surprising you because they do lead with love, at least mine did. My dad's still alive. My mom, God rest his soul, passed away. But um, so I eventually got the courage after I was offered this. The, the head of drama at Yale saw me do a production, Beckett, I think, and offered me a scholarship to drama school in Milwaukee, the conservatory. It took me a whole semester to garner up the courage to let my parents know. I eventually did and waited with bated breath for the response. This was back when you sent letters, you know, not email. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, the letter finally came through and I have it in my belongings store to this day in which my parents just said, 
our goal was to give you the best chance possible, the best education. Now go live your life and we'll support you. So oh that God. changed everything. Literally that letter, now go live your life and we'll support you. And overnight, my dad became a film buff. You know, he started watching, <laughs> you know, James Cagney is his favorite actor, you know, Humphrey Bogart. He just started watching all the classics, whatever to, right, to the point where he's seen everything. I do. He needs links to Peacemaker. There's some things that are a bit risky. I was like, should I send my dad a link of, Anyway, I send him the link and he watches it, you know, to, you know, to see the previews and all that. So, and he's became my biggest fan. My mom was my biggest fan until she passed away. I couldn't have done it without them. So yeah. the answer to your question is that there was trepidation at first, but when I actually told them it was nothing but love and support from day one, you know, oh, so I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. Okay, so Chuck, the name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with? Sort of obsessed with food right now. I'm, 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 I don't know, during COVID, my culinary skills increased a lot. And I started getting, you know, I've always been loved cooking and stuff, but I'm obsessed with food. There's a cool tapas place down the road. I'm obsessed with getting through their menu. I'm sort of obsessed with, I'm really obsessed with self-care right now because I've started doing acupuncture and making sure I get a massage every week. Those things we think of as luxuries, but actually necessary for the body. I'm obsessed with that. As you get older, you sort of said, how can I maintain this stuff that I'm doing, especially doing the work I'm doing? It's quite a physical shoot and stuff. So I'm sort of obsessed with self-care right now, actually, you know, in a weird way. I mean, that includes good food you know i sort of mix the two together i'm doing a lot of pilates uh reformer stuff so the structure of the body is obsessing me and i've been meditating more than i've more consistently than i've ever done i i think there's a sense of post-covid and the questions you sort of asked yourselves about what matters and you know the fragility of things that really sunk in and then coming out of covid into this maelstrom because it's really been in the last year that this f- massive flip from predominantly theater into film and TV has happened. But, so there's, there's a lot. So how do you maintain that equilibrium and that equanimity? You know, that's sort of like my obsession right now, right down to what I read on, and trying to learn how to go to bed before 1 a.m., you know? <laughs> Good luck with that. Well, see, <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. You're, we're the same age, uh, 35. And um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're 35 already. I'm no, not no. that till next year. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's right. It's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But you, yeah, but yeah. you read at a 36 year old level. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I want to go back though. Like, uh, but I agree. I, I, uh, I, I'm not training for uh, a film or anything, but I've uh, been in South Carolina with some family and I've gotten into cycling and doing that, but I've been, yeah, I do the massage thing, not weekly, but once stuff, a month. Yeah. It's, and it's uh, all that self-care, all that, uh, the meditation, all that stuff helps out so much. But I want to go back to a little more, not a silly question, but a little more one that seems a little glib is, so it, if I was to come over right now to your house and you're like, I, I, and Chuck's like, I want, uh, I want a comfort food for me. What would I see on your table? If you were coming over for dinner, I would make you my Moroccan lamb chili. That's oh, comfort food. Yes. That if it so was good. dinner, I would do it with my Moroccan lamb chili, you know, uh, with chickpeas and all that stuff. Absolutely delicious. Um, or I would do you um, my Thai chopped chicken, basil. You know, the evening would definitely be food and cooking and whatever. But during that four o'clock, around three, four o'clock, definitely oatmeal raisin cookies from the vein. Um, 
<laughs> and uh, coffee. I, 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 that's my coffee time around that time. You know. Well, here's what I'd say. I, I think that's a mm-hmm. great plan. Uh, invitation accepted. Okay, and- <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, I'll make the coffee and then I'll I'll uh, I'll excuse myself and then come back to the Moroccan. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go get the pastries. Yeah, then, yeah go and home, they... come back, get ready, and come have some. I'll have Moroccan an intermission. Chili. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's a thing we do, or I do, on the show called Pick One. I give you a couple options. You pick one. It doesn't mean the thing that you pick is better than the other thing, and you're encouraged to talk it out. So, can we play Pick One? Let's play pick one. Okay, so pick one. The first time you won an Olivier Award or the second time you won an Olivier Award? Pick one. They were the same night. They were, it was for the Henry VI, um, playing Henry VI in the histories with the Royal Shakespeare Company. So they were for, you know, ensemble and for best revival. So we all went up. So it was, it was all, it was on the same night. So yes. But- <laughs> Even in that, like, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I do know, uh, you, from unless you've changed and became an asshole, you're, I think an ensemble is actually probably, um, even though it's nice to have your own work recognized and, hey, hey, you won Best Actor or whatever, but getting an ensemble award, I have to imagine, is a big point of pride for you. Especially for those plays, because those plays, if you know the history plays as opposed to all of all Shakespeare's other plays, everyone has their limelight. It really is the best set of characters ever. Do you know what I mean? Put together in one group of plays. So yeah, it was, oh God, it was such a fun night. You know, it was, it was a really fun night. So yeah, so pick one. I can't, I, I pick one, which is both. It, but there was probably like, what, half an hour between those awards where you're like... Sorry, oh, I, sorry, 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 I definitely take the, I definitely take the acting one. Yes, <laughs> take the acting, the, which was the first one to be announced. So the first one. And then we're like, what? We got something else. <laughs> At this point, I was like drunk as hell. I was like, what? I have to walk? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like three glasses on. You know? okay, I'm going to yeah. try to act not drunk, which is always just makes it worse. Yeah. Okay, so uh, next one. Pick one. Performing Shakespeare indoors or performing Shakespeare outdoors? Indoors. I mean, I did Othello in the Park in New York, which is amazing. And I did Leia in the Park in New York, which is amazing. I did. Richard III in Epidavros in the amphitheater, all amazing. But I actually think if Shakespeare were alive now, he'd rather his plays were done in a black box. I'm pretty certain about that. I think Shakespeare would love his productions being done on film where you can do a close-up of the face. So much of it is so intimate. So much of it is the nuance of, of listening and, and all that. That I, I, I'm Actually, I was in, in a crossroads about that because... I really do feel that if I do more Shakespeare, I, one of the greatest experiences, apart from the histories, you know, all indoors, was that intimacy where I could see the eyeballs out there, you know. Um, I think there's a nuance you can bring to it when everyone can see, as opposed to your voice coming from somewhere else because it's amplified. Um, one of my greatest experiences as an actor not just as Shakespeare but an actor was doing Hamlet with the public you know doing the the uh tour going around to prisons beforehand and then coming back to the public space and doing it in an intimate hundred seat you know black box I that made Hamlet amazing for me intimacy so I would I would have to say it's fun to do outdoors but given the choice definitely indoors 
Wait, Chuck, I want to make sure I get this right. You said you were touring, uh, you were playing Hamlet on a tour and you performed in prisons? Yeah, the mobile unit, the public has a program called the mobile unit and they take out Shakespeare plays to prisons and 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 not just prisons, but to, uh, to um, homeless shelters, prisons, community centers, to places. It was founded, the public theater was founded on, on that. Joseph Papp founded it to take theater to the five boroughs where that, for people that normally can't get to see a show. So the mobile unit uh, does um, productions and they take them to these prisons, uh, homeless shelters, um, community centers all across the city and you perform and it's electric because they're waiting all year for you to arrive. You know, they, they're so responsive. There was a moment when I was doing to be or not to be and I was in Rikers and uh, I start to do it. And, you know, you know, it's about, you know, killing yourself. Should I take my life or not? And I'm, I'm there with the, my imaginary needle to shoot myself up. And I looked out and there was a guy in the front row, big guy, just watching. And when I went to be or not to be, he just started shaking his head slowly and mouthed, don't do it. I mean, when you see that and then you bring that when we came downtown eventually to the public to perform to your quote-unquote regular audience, but you've taken what those words mean to people who are really facing desperation. It, it, It was electric. The show was electric. People loved it. They talk about it today. It was 2016 and one of the best things I've ever done. That's when I was like, oh, I want to just do it indoors. You know, I just wanted to have that level of connection you know yeah oh my goodness i literally my like my i'm covered in goosebumps that's (laughs) no i mean and to be honest like that's the stuff in theater that you hope you have that effect on any audience uh but only to be able to see that and receive that and you're also sharing that moment and i think i can't remember if this is my my college uh classical program or APT or another theater, but someone was saying like, you know, we're, you're saying these words that are hun- literally hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. And to see that those same words today can have that same effect. Like mm-hmm. that's, the, that's what always uh, drove yes, me to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Before I let you go, is there anything you want to clarify? Anything you want to mention that you didn't get to? I still have good pecs. PVC. Pecs, voice, and charm. And charm. Yeah, PVC. 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 There you have it. Pecs. <laughs> charm. Oh, dude, it was so great seeing you and Such nothing but best wishes in the future. And I hope when it gets closer to Guardians, we can talk again. Let's let's set a date. It'd be lovely. Yeah, to and see let's you do again. that Moroccan. Let's do some Moroccan. Uh, yeah, Moroccan lamb yeah. chili. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go. All right, buddy. Yeah, take care. Have a buddy. good one. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye bye. I want to thank Chuck for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. Peacemaker premieres on HBO Max on January 13th. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Danielle Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell, and this episode was produced by Rebecca Fleenor. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. And until next time, take care.